I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I remember being in early elementary school and um, I learned from another kid that if you ever wanted to get out of a promise or say something that you didn't really truly mean, all you had to do was cross your fingers and put your hand behind your back while you're saying it, and it exempted you from being able to fulfill the, the promise. Anybody else ever, ever hear that? But here's the problem. I don't think that kid knew what he was talking about. Because that very same day, I mean the very same day, I remember seeing him standing in front of the teacher, telling the teacher something with his fingers crossed behind his back, and as he's telling the teacher, I'm going, that ain't right, that ain't true. So if a second-year-old can figure out that ain't true, I'm <clears throat> pretty sure the teacher did as well. And um, sure enough, the teacher caught him in this, in this untruth or lie or whatever you want to call it, and, um, and he got a mark on his heart, okay? You've heard me talk about that before. My second-grade teacher was brutal. Um, she gave you a mark on your heart. That meant that, uh, that you were in big, big, big trouble. So he got a mark on his heart that day. There was a politician who died um, not too long ago, and, and there's an older couple who went to go visit his gravesite one day. And on the gravestone, here's what they read. They read these words, here lies a dedicated politician and an honest man. And the man told his wife, he said, look at that. They put two men in the same grave. You've probably never had this problem, but sometimes when I take my car to get it worked on um, because of a problem, I have to take the quote that I initially got from the, um, the person who gave me the quote or looked at it first, take it to another person to figure out if that other person was legit or not. I got to know if that mechanic is taking advantage of me or not. Why can't a person just be honest, right? Why can't they just say what they, what they mean? And mean what they say. Now, the short answer for that is one that we as Christians know. We know that the curse of sin has corrupted this world in such a way that, that um, relationships as a whole are broken because people try to gain an upper hand and they try to, to, try, to, try to build themselves up and they're dishonest oftentimes in doing so. If all that you have to do is let the words that come out of your mouth let, let them not be true or, or, or say things that you don't mean. And all of a sudden, if you can do that, you can gain an upper hand. Then a whole lot of people are going to say whatever they want to, no matter whether it's true or not. But Jesus has got something to say about that in our passage for today. Now, as we move through this sermon that Jesus preaches, it's arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, he is addressing some real life issues. And he's being honest in a big, big way. And he shows us that being honest is a really big deal. Now, you're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 33 through 37 together, okay? And I want to invite you. It's going to be on the screen, so you can follow along on the screen. If you don't have an ESV in front of you, you can read along in front of you. But out loud, let's read together verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, now this passage is going to take this really the same flow as the other topics that we've looked at the last several weeks, okay? Verse 20, way back before, this is kind of at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most religious leaders alive in that day, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So how in the world can that happen? If these are the best behaved people in the entire world, how in the world do I have a chance? Because I can't be a better person than them. But the point that Jesus is saying is that it's impossible for us to do any better than them. We have to have his righteousness. We desperately need his righteousness. You see, I can't do enough to earn my way into heaven. There's not enough good that I could ever do to get there. God knew that. And that's why he sent Jesus to die the death that I deserve to die for my sin. And when I accept God's free gift of salvation, he doesn't look at me and see me as a sinner anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, that's been added onto my account. So when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's not died yet, but he's taken this opportunity to show his disciples how important it is to meet God's standard. So when it comes to things like anger and lust and divorce and loving our enemies, there's a radical new standard for living that Jesus' disciples is expected to live up to. So when we get to this section on oaths or promises, Jesus starts off by talking just like he has with the other topics. He says, again, you have said that you have heard that it was said of those of old. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament teachings. What's the Old Testament teaching? You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. He's showing us the Old Testament teaching about oaths. Now, when Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, it's not like he's directly quoting one specific scripture. In fact, there's several that he's paraphrasing, okay? Um, it's scriptures like Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, where we read, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your, the name of your God. I am the Lord. So this is the Lord talking. He says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and profane my name. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin if you don't fulfill it. But if you refrain from vowing, so if you don't make the vow at all, you won't be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. So whatever's come out of your mouth, be careful to do that. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Okay, I want you to catch that for a second, okay? We're going to come back to it in just a moment, to this idea in just a moment. God is really, really, really clear here. What you have let pass through your lips, you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Okay, remember that. Both of these are passages that I just read for you. Both of those are passages are, that are words that are coming directly from God as a commandment to his people. Later on, Zechariah was extremely clear on this topic when he says this, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Man, that's a really strong word, isn't it? 
I hate these things. This is just a small taste of what the Old Testament has to say about keeping your word. What you say you will do, do it. One of the things we found with the last several topics that we've talked about here in the Sermon on the Mount is that there's the Old Testament teaching, but then there's something completely different that's actually taken place in Jesus' culture in that time. So what Jesus does is he reinforces the Old Testament teaching with his divine knowledge about here's how you should respond from here. And this topic is no different because what's happened is God's teaching has been so clear in the Old Testament, but now it's been defiled. Now something completely different has taken place. Throughout the years leading up to Jesus, the scribes created these loopholes that distinguished between promises made to the Lord and promises made in general that had nothing to do with the Lord. So if you taught, here's what they taught. They taught that if you made a promise in the name of the Lord, then you had to keep that promise. But that same standard did not necessarily apply to human relationships. So you can make a promise to another person, but not keep it, get it, unless you made that promise in the name of the Lord. So if you made that promise in the name of the Lord, then you had to keep it. But if you didn't say the name of the Lord or keep it in the name of the Lord, then you don't have to keep it. There's an author and professor by the name of Charles Quarles. That's an awesome name, isn't it? Charles Quarles. Who writes this? Some first century rabbis emphasized only the importance of speaking truth to God and downplayed the importance of absolute honesty in all communication. They thought that they had a special obligation to keep promises made to God specifically, but could break promises made to others when it was, get this, convenient. Hmm. Yeah, when it's convenient. Sounds a whole lot like our culture today, doesn't it? And you got, you got people in general, okay, both religious and non-religious, who make a, a promise to another person, and then they feel the freedom to break that promise if it's not convenient to them. So how does Jesus respond to that? Knowing God's intention for honesty and for holding true to your word And then knowing the distortion that integrity has now become in Jesus' day, what does Jesus have to say? Verse 34 through 37, But I say to you, Jesus says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So here's a kivet paraphrase, okay? I think Jesus is just simply saying, you know what? If you can't can't keep your word, just keep your mouth shut. If you can't keep your word, just don't say anything at all. It's far better to not make a promise than to make a promise that you can't keep. In Jesus' day, people were making all kinds of promises in the name of all kinds of things. By heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, by my head, by your head. All kinds of promises. They're not technically making a promise in the name of the Lord, right? So it's okay, right? But Jesus is showing them the futility of their efforts. You can't justify your promises by by that. What's come out of your mouth is a promise, so, so keep it. See, they make it seem like they're putting weight to their promise by saying 
by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, by my head. But in reality, what can they do to change anything? They're not in control. They can't control their own destiny. He uses the, 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 uh, the idea there of you can't make a head on your hair black or white at all. You can't do anything about it. I got a lot of gray that's popping up right over here, okay? Pretty sure it's four boys in a church that's doing it to me. I can't do anything about that. So why would I make a promise that I can't keep in any way? And, and he takes it a little bit further here. On top of, of that, that you can't control your own destiny, you may not be using the name of the Lord to make promises. But what Jesus is saying is that God is a part of all of life. Woe to you, right, Matthew 23, Jesus breaks this apart even more. He says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. Oh, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What he's saying is that God is a part of all of life. You cannot compartmentalize God. You can't say, well, God is here in this and God is not over here in this. How can you think that God doesn't see what you're doing? So going back to the Matthew chapter 5 passage, it's like Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hey, you want to take an oath by heaven? Oh, you didn't use the name of the Lord there. But wait a minute, that's God's throne. You want to take an oath by earth? Well, that's his footstool. You want to take an oath by Jerusalem? That's God's city. You fool. You think that you can put God in your neat little box and you can limit him. You have no idea what you're messing with. So then I think about us today, and I think about how so often we categorize our lives as if, as if God is a genie in a bottle, and we can just kind of pull him out every now and then. When we really need him, we can pray, go to him, God, make, I make this promise, this promise, this promise, or tell other people I make this promise, this promise, and then put him back in the bottle and keep living life any way we want to. If I'm talking to God or the preacher, I better be honest and truthful. But so that I can gain the upper hand in life, I can do whatever I want, I can say whatever I want for the whole rest of life. If I really need something from God, I can pray and I can make a certain promise. I gotta make sure I keep that promise to God, but I'm not bound by the promises that I make to other people. See, this is not, a, this is not an issue that was only for them in Jesus' day. I think this is a very big issue for us here today too. Jesus wraps up this whole thought with something so simplistic. He simply says in verse 34, he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Just tell the truth and mean what you say. So if the answer is yes, I did that even though I shouldn't have and I may get in trouble, then just simply say yes. If the truthful answer is no, then say no. 
And I love this because Jesus doesn't get technical with it. He doesn't say anything like, hey, be truthful, but if you need to fudge the facts a little bit, tell a little white lie, then go right ahead. No, he just says, well, let what you say be simply yes or no. How many of you, um, at some point in your life, when you're trying to convince somebody of something, you said something akin to, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye? Most often, when I was a kid and I said that, it was, I certainly didn't mean to, to keep whatever promise I was making. That's not Jesus, and that's not his teaching. You see, anything beyond simple, honest truthfulness opens ourselves up to all kinds of evil, is what Jesus is saying there. What does all of this mean for us? How should this passage be applied to us? How should our lives be different as a result of studying this today? First, you can write these things down. We must be willing to tell the truth even when it hurts. Got to be willing to tell the truth even when it hurts. You know, there's times that I really don't like being truthful. Because <laughs> there's that fleshly, carnal side of me that really wants to take what seems to be the easy way out when it comes to honesty. Oh, if I can just fudge it a little bit, I'm good. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, do not lie to one another. Speaking to Christians here, Paul's talking to Christians. He says, do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So Christian, listen, when you accepted Jesus as the one who died in your place to forgive you for your sin, you became a new person. So don't go back to living the way that you did before you becoming a Christian. So don't go back to the lying and the dishonesty that was okay before because you didn't know any better. Now you do. You have that Holy Spirit who's indwelling you, and you have God's very, very clear word to live a life of integrity. Put away that old person. Live in the new identity that you've been given in Christ. Here's the next point. Every single person will be known for their honesty or their lack thereof. Every person will be known for their honesty or their lack thereof. From the youngest all the way up to the oldest, you will be known for your honesty or your lack of it. We've all come across people who, they can't be trusted. Man, how heartbreaking that is. To know that you can't trust another person because there's a chance they could be lying to you because they've done it before. A man by the name of Bob Harris, who was a nationally known weatherman. 1979, he had to weather a public storm of his own. It was his own making. Though he had studied math, physics, and geology at three different colleges, he left school without a degree, but with a strong desire to be a media weatherman. So he called WCBS-TV and introduced himself as a PhD in geophysics from Columbia University. The phony degree got him in the door. After a two-month tryout, he was hired as an off-camera forecaster for WCBS. For the next decade, his career flourished. He became widely known as Dr. Bob. He was also hired by the New York Times as a consulting meteorologist. The same year, both the Long Island Railroad and then baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn hired him, 40 years of age, living his childhood dream, but he found himself in public disgrace and national humiliation when an anonymous letter prompted WCBS management 
to investigate his academic credentials. Both the station and the New York Times fired him. His attention got, his story got attention all across the country. He was on the Today Show, the Tomorrow Show, the In People Weekly, among others. He thought he'd lose his home and never work in the media again. He admits it was a dreadful mistake on his part and doubtless, doubtless played a role in his divorce. And here's what he's quoted with saying. I took a shortcut that turned out to be the long way around. And one day, the bill came due. I will be sorry as long as I am alive. One day, the bill's going to come due on all dishonest people. You may not be paying for it right now, but there will be a day that you will pay for it. In response to that, I would just simply say, follow Jesus' teaching and simply be a truthful person. Here's the last point that I want to bring up. And that is that as Christians, we must seek to proclaim the truth. We must seek to proclaim the truth. And there is a truth that supersedes all others in importance. It's the truth that there is a God who created us and loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The truth that life can be found in Jesus and only in Jesus is the most important truth that anyone and everyone needs to hear. I want you to hear me when I say this, okay? Don't expect people to listen to you when you share the important truth about Jesus <clears throat> if you won't be truthful about other small things. Don't expect people to listen to you when you share the important truth about Jesus if you're not truthful about the other things. The difference between a person spending eternity in heaven or in hell may be decided by your reputation when it comes to honesty, because Christian eyes are on you. The Pharisees taught that only truth about God was important, and it turned people away. So don't be a Pharisaical Christian. Don't turn people away from the Lord by your dishonesty. Proclaim the truth in the small things so you can protect the right to proclaim the truth in the eternal things. I really believe that when Jesus is talking about this, one of the reasons he brings this up is because it's so important that if we proclaim the truth in the small things and we build that reputation as a reputable, honest person of integrity, then when we go to share the bigger truth about where people can find life, that they're willing to listen because we've proven ourselves as people of integrity and honesty. Church, may it never, ever be said of any of us, I don't know if I can trust that person because I don't know if they're lying to me or not. And if for some reason that that is what is said of you today, then you have some apologizing to do, some repenting to do. First to God because you have dishonored his name, but then also to other people. Church, let's be truthful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Father, thank you for this word from Jesus that teaches us the importance of honesty. Help us not to compartmentalize our Christian lives, thinking that, oh, we can just pull God out when we need him, when we want him, and live our lives any old way the rest of, the rest of our lives. 
But Father, may this identity that we have taken on as Christians, would it, would it permeate every bit of our lives? And then, Father, would you receive the glory and the honor that you are due as a result of our lives of character and integrity? We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.